big thank you to Garrett Turner for putting uh, the video together and uh, yeah, shooting video and editing that for us uh, so we could have a, a little bit of a memory of that. So super excited about our camp and uh, just what God started in the hearts and lives of kids and uh, pray that we have opportunity in the future. Well, hey, if you have a Bible, go to Jonah chapter number one. We are starting a new sermon series today in the book of Jonah. I think I say this every time we start a new series. I'm really excited about it, right? I'm really excited to start uh, a new series to be in this book. We're going to walk through the book of Jonah throughout the rest of the summer, maybe into the fall. I'm not sure how long it'll take. We'll see. But uh, it'll be a really, really good study, and I'm excited about it. But as you're turning there, we'll have the scripture on the screen for you to follow along with us as always. But uh, raise your hand if you've ever run away from God, like ever run away from God before. Yeah. Ever been a time in your life where you have maybe gone in the opposite direction of God's calling in your life. If you haven't, you will, right? That's the reality because we are runaways. We have a tendency as human beings to run in the opposite direction of God. It could be something uh, as small and simple as running away from a prompting. Maybe God has prompted you to speak to a neighbor, to a friend, to somebody at work, and you said no, and you ran in the other direction. Maybe it was something bigger in your life where God has placed a call in your life and you said no. Maybe a call to missions, a call to be in ministry, a call to do something big, and you uh, ran in the opposite direction. Well, we are runaways, and if we could kind of encapsulate really the book of Jonah, it's all about a guy who ran away from God, right? A guy who ran from God's call. It's an account of this guy who really bought this one-way ticket uh, to a destination that was the furthest away from God's call as he possibly could get. It's a story about a boat, a storm, a group of sailors, and lest we forget, it's a story about a whale as well, right? Uh, some might say, let's say it's a salty tale about Jonah and a whale. Pastors love everything that rhymes, right? <laughs> so I had to throw that in there, right? And all of that is true, Right? Like you probably read the story of Jonah and all of those things, the sailor, the boat, running away, uh, the whale, all of those things are true, but this story is so much more than all of those simple, common themes. Uh, it's so much more than that. It's an account, uh, a story really about a common, relatable problem that we all have. It's a disobedient heart. Uh, it's a story uh, about uh, a man in his prejudice, it is a story about the revelation of God's mercy and grace to unlikely people. Uh, and Jonah's really going to challenge our thinking. Uh, the book of Jonah is going to challenge our thinking about the gospel. It's really going to challenge our, our perspective towards the lost. How should we view the world? How should we view the evil in the world, the corruption in the world, the people who do and say things that are opposed to everything we believe? What should be our perspective about them? It's really gonna bring us face to face with our own prejudices in, in it's, it's one whale of a tale that you're gonna enjoy <laughs> digging into, right? I can't resist, right? I can't resist, I have to do it, right? But we're gonna dig into uh, this book throughout the rest of the summer and I am excited about it. And while it's very small, it's a very small book of the Bible. It may seem very, very insignificant. You're really gonna be challenged, I believe, with some fresh, fresh insights uh, along the way. Well, let's check it out. Let's dive into this. We're gonna be in the first three verses this morning, and uh, next Sunday we'll probably pick up verse three and on, but uh, let's start and just read a little bit about Jonah in his story. Starting in verse number one, it says this, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying this, arise, Jonah, go to Nineveh, that great city and call out against it for their evil has come up before me. 
But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish. And so he paid the fare, and he went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Here's what we're going to lean into this morning, and really going to see this theme throughout the whole book of Jonah. But this is where I want to start. I want to give you just kind of some introductory thoughts this morning, and it's our bottom line, and that is this, is that there's a little bit of Jonah in all of us that I want you and I to place ourselves in the shoes of Jonah and recognize that there's a little bit of all of his issues, we would say, maybe his anger, his prejudice, his, uh, you know, uh, tension about doing something that God had called him to do. There's a little bit of Jonah in every single person this morning. I want ourselves to really put ourselves in his shoes because I think we have a tendency, do we not, as Christians today, to look back, to read a story and to think, Man, Jonah's not the greatest guy, right? He's not the greatest prophet. He's not the greatest missionary. I mean, we have a tendency to read Jonah with a little bit of disdain, a little bit of self-righteousness, a little bit of superiority. I mean, we're like, man, Jonah messed up, right? What's wrong with Jonah, right? Uh, I read this past week as I was kind of studying. I read this title of this article, and it said, Jonah, the worst missionary ever. I was like, man, that's harsh. I mean, you're going to be in heaven one day with Jonah and be like, if you wrote that article, be like, hey, what's up with that, right? Kind of thing. You know, we kind of have this tendency to think that, but we're going to discover, hopefully, throughout this series in this morning, we all have Jonah-like tendencies. We all have Jonah-like tendencies, that what Jonah did wasn't all that out of the ordinary in running away from God, because if we're honest, man, we, we run every day. Let's be honest, I mean, we probably in some way, shape, or form run away from God, God's promptings, God's callings, God's leading in our lives through all of the circumstances that are both good and bad, we have a tendency to run in the opposite direction from God. God may speak to us, and we may just say, no, I'm not doing it. Have you ever done that before, right? I know I have, I know I have, and I probably have done it often, because what's in Jonah is in me, and what's in Jonah is in you. Uh, and that is this is sinful human flesh. And so there's a little bit of Jonah in all of us. There's a little bit of his fear. There's a little bit of his anxiety, his prejudice, his disobedience. There's a little bit of his anger. And hopefully, hopefully there's a little bit of also this, his repentance, right? We're going to get to the end of the book and we're going to find uh, a little bit later in the middle of the book that Jonah actually repented. And so hopefully we'll have that in us as well. We're not that different from Jonah today. I want you to understand that. Be kind to him, right? Be kind to him, because you're going to be in heaven with him one day. And so this morning, we're going to walk through, again, the first three verses. It's going to be a little introductory, I suppose, in nature. But the first thing I really want us to understand, to give you just kind of some thoughts to think about, uh, and that is this, is that Jonah's a real dude, okay? Jonah is a real person. This is not some fairy tale. This is not some made-up story. Jonah is a real person. This is not even a parable, right? Jesus told parables in the New Testament. Those were stories that maybe they were true. We don't really know, but they were stories that he told in order to illustrate a truth. That's not what this is, right? This is a real historical event. Let me show you just a few interesting things where Jonah pops up in the Bible in other places. Let me show you just one in 2 Kings chapter 14. You can turn there or you can watch uh, or read on the screen with us. 2 Kings chapter 14 in verses 23 through 25, Jonah shows up. And it gives us a little bit of a timestamp about when he was a prophet. Notice this. It says this, in the, in the 15th year of Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah, you're like, I thought we were talking about Jonah. We're getting there, right? Jeroboam, underline that, that name, Jeroboam, 
the son of Joash, king of Israel, began to reign in Samaria, and he reigned 41 years. Now, Samaria was part of the northern kingdom. You had the southern kingdom and the northern kingdom. Unfortunately, their nation was divided, right, between the north and the south, right? And we still got a little bit of, anybody from the south right here? Anybody still fighting the war? I, like, I had somebody, I, this is totally off topic, but I, I, when I was in college, somebody uh, said to me they were from a southern state. No offense, no offense, okay? But they were from a southern state, and I said, I'm from Maine, and they said, oh, you're a Yankee, and I said, no, I'm a Red Sox fan. <laughs> and I was being super snarky, because um, I knew what they were talking about, right? Oh, you're from the north, uh, you're, you're a Yankee. And I said, um, you know who won, right? And then we, did, we didn't really talk much after that, but anyways. <laughs> We're moving on. So in the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, right? And so Jeroboam is the king of the northern kingdom. And notice this in verse 24. This is really key and really important. He, this king, Jeroboam, did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not depart from all the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, which he made Israel to sin. Bad dude, right? Uh, and so listen in the verse 25. But he did do this. He restored the border of Israel from Labo Hamath as far as the Sea of Arabah, according to the word of the Lord. Catch this, uh, the, the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, which he spoke by who? Sit with me, his servant, Jonah, right? The son of Amittai, the prophet who was from Gath-Hefer. And so this is really, uh, really interesting because it gives us kind of a timestamp about when did Jonah minister? He ministered in the Northern Kingdom when Jeroboam was king. Uh, and he ministered during a, a very uh, tumultuous time in their nation. I mean, you got an evil king. So do you think you have evil politics, right? There were evil politicians back then, even, you know, even, even then, right? This is when Jonah ministered. And I think that's really important to understand the climate, the climate that a man of God, that a person of God uh, was called to minister. Put yourself in his shoes, right? What must it have been like, right, to speak the message of God, right? So um, the, the only seemingly good thing this king does is, right, restore the borders, right? Restores some borders in the nation of Israel. And he speaks that. That actually is something God said would happen. And he speaks that message through the prophet J uh, Jonah. And so Jonah's a real dude. That's what I want you to see. He is a real person, not some made-up character. And let me give you just one more example, because this is really, really significant as well. Again, we kind of have this, you know, disdain in some ways for Jonah and kind of the decisions he made in life, but Jesus actually compared himself to Jonah. Check it out in Matthew chapter 12 in verses 38 through 41. It says this, then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, answered Jesus, saying, teacher, we wish to see a sign from you, like prove you're the Messiah. Like, show us a sign to prove that you really are who you say that you are. But he answered, Jesus answered, an evil and an adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except what? The sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish. Stop there just for a second, because Jesus does this. He confirms the reality that that actually happened. Isn't that cool? that Jesus is, is actually confirming that, yeah, Jonah was actually swallowed by a whale, and he spent three days and three nights in the belly of that whale, and he survived it. For just as Jonah was three days, three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth, and the men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented of the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. And so Jesus compares himself to Jonah. The circumstances of Jonah's life, the symbolism there is fantastic. But here's the point, real story, 
Real story about a real guy named Jonah who thought he could run away from God, okay? Let's, let's just, that's just introductory, right? I want you to understand that. Well, let's jump into the first verse. Let's kind of walk through this together. Verse number one, again, it says this. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. That's a very uh, common phrase in the Bible. The word of the Lord came to. You see it over and over and over again, over again throughout the Bible with prophets, messengers of God, men who are called to speak the message of God. And the word of the Lord comes specifically to Jonah. And how it came was the literal, audible voice of God. Can you imagine that? right? Can you imagine God speaking to you audibly? Well, that's what happened with Jonah, and I cannot imagine what that must have been like, but it comes to Jonah. He's a prophet. He's a messenger of God. His task is to take that message. God speaks to him, and his job is to go and to speak the message of God to the audience that God tells him to go. Pretty simple, right? You're like, Jonah, I mean, that's not hard, right? Like, just tell what God said, right? Pretty simple thing to do, yet kind of a fearful thing, would it not be? Depending on what God tells you, right? Depending on what God tells you, that could be a very, very fearful thing to do. Now, here's what's cool for all of us. The word of the Lord has come to us, and it's available to us every single day, right? I mean, these guys, they kind of had to wait for a message from God. They had to wait for God to speak and that prophet to hear and that prophet to be willing to go and speak the message. The reality for you and I today we have the word of God. We hold it in our hands and we take it for granted, do we not? We take the word of God for granted. But listen, if God can speak to a prophet, he can certainly write a book, right? Some people say like, is the Bible real? Is it true? Can we trust it? If God can speak a message to a prophet, he can certainly write a book, right? And he has given us the word of God and it's been preserved for us, the living, breathing word of God. It can change your life, right? But look at verse two, because we need to know, what did God say? What did God say, and why is what he said important to us today? Check out verse number two. This is the message. This is the word that came to Jonah. And God says this. God says to Jonah, arise. I want you to get up, Jonah, and I want you to go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Let's camp out here just for a little bit this morning. I want, you, I want, you, want us to understand something really, really important. This is the first time... A prophet of God from Israel has ever gone physically to a foreign nation. It's the first time that, that we, we, we could say like there was a missionary of sorts going to a foreign nation, a Gentile nation, non-Jews. First time ever God called a man to physically go and speak a message to a foreign nation. That's kind of significant if you ask me. There were other prophets who spoke messages against evil nations, but they never went. They spoke from the comforts of home. They spoke from their own nation. And how that word got there, I don't really know, but they did not go. Jonah's different. Jonah is unique. Uh, and so that, think about that. That's kind of fearful. You want me to go and speak to them face to face? You want me to physically go into that evil, corrupt nation and, 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 and tell them this message, Jonah, get up and go to Nineveh and call out evil against them. Yeah, okay, Nineveh? I don't know, God. I'm not so sure I want to do that. And so this was new. This was different for the prophet Jonah to go there. But not only is that a unique thing for Jonah to do, but also this, we need to understand a little bit about Nineveh. Why would that be fearful? 
Uh, why would that be u- unique in the, in the way of, for, for Jonah to step into this kind of nation? Well, understand this. Nineveh was an evil, pagan, enemy of God, enemy of Israel. Let's do a little history lesson for just a moment here real quick. Uh, first of all, God calls Nineveh a great city, and it was. Likely the greatest city in all of the world at this time. Some historians say it would take three days to walk from one end of the city to the next. That's a big city, right? Pretty big city. And and, and so not only was it a big city, but it was part of the Assyrian Empire. And the Assyrian Empire was a superpower at that time. Uh, They were culturally advanced. They were militarily advanced. They had chariots. They had iron, uh, which uh, other nations didn't have those chariots. And so this was a fearful kind of place to be. They were a superpower. Listen to this quote from Tim Keller. He said this. He said, Assyria was one of the cruelest in most violent empires of ancient times. Assyrian kings often recorded the results of their military victories, gloating of whole plains littered with corpses and of cities burned completely to the ground. These are friendly, nice neighbors, right? (laughs) Such nice people, you know? Uh, Gloating about uh, corpses lying in the plains, right? Like, that's terrible, right? He went on to also say this. He said, the empire also had begun exacting heavy tribute from Israel during the reign of King Jehu and, it, and continued to threaten the Jewish northern kingdom throughout the lifetime of Jonah. And in 720, uh, 722 BC, guess what? They invaded the northern kingdom and they destroyed, uh, they destroyed the northern kingdom and they destroyed uh, the capital uh, city, Samaria. And so you have that, and there's so much more, right? There's so much more we could talk about uh, how evil they were. But think about, what did the nation of Israel think about in Assyrian? What were their thoughts? I mean, these people, are, these, are, these are ruthless, evil pagans who are just like murdering people and taking whatever they want. I mean, what, what do you think the nation of Israel thought of them? What do you think Jonah thought of Assyria and Nineveh? They hated them. They despised them right? The, the Assyrians would be responsible, uh, not only in the past, but also in the future for enormous loss of life and painful taxes. Not friendly people. Not friendly people. In history, of course, you can read it for yourself, records much of their evil ways, much of their corruption. And so do you think Jonah, you think Jonah wants to go to this evil place, right? Do you think Jonah, any chance in his heart and his mind that he wants to go uh, and give a message of repentance so that they can turn from their evil ways? Do you think in Jonah's mind, he's like, no, they need to get what they deserve, right? They need to get what they deserve. And I want you to know that you and I would have the same mindset, that we likely would have the same perspective and the same thought. These people are evil and they need to pay for what they have done, And in the midst of that very human emotion, that if we were in the nation of Israel at that time, we would feel that, we would be very patriotic, we would would say, man, we need to wipe that, we need to do something about that, we need to wipe them out, God needs to judge them, we need to pray for their demise, we need to pray that something happens so that they no longer are in power. And in the midst of that very human, human emotion, God reveals his character. I've said this so many times and I will continue to say it as you open the scriptures. We ought to look for the character of God because God wants to reveal himself to you. He wants you to see him and what he is like because he's so different than you and I. He's so different than you and I. And he reveals his character in the midst of this very, very human response that many of us would have as well that Jonah 
that Jonah has in his heart against the Ninevites, and that is this is the mercy of God. In the midst of, of a guy and a nation wanting judgment on Assyria and on Nineveh, God, guess what he does? He extends mercy when we want judgment. Let me say that one more time. God extends mercy when we want judgment. And we'll see that thought kind of throughout the entire book of Jonah because he's going to come face to face with that truth. God is a merciful God, and he wants to extend mercy when my heart is calling out for judgment. This is the God that you and I serve. His heart wanted justice, Jonas did, punishment, judgment to fall, but yet God is extending great mercy, right? We're no different. We're no different because there's a little bit of Jonah in all of us today. And so here's a principle to maybe write down. I'm gonna give you three this morning, three kind of introductory type principles when we talk about the book of Jonah and how does it apply to us? Because we're no different than him. And we have nations and we have people, we have things in our lives and we would say, man, that nation is evil. Those leaders are evil. They are corrupt. And we pray and we hope that God just drops a hammer. But instead, what if we had a different perspective? And so let me give you one principle to write down this morning, something that applies to us today. And that is this, is that the gospel doesn't discriminate. Amen? The gospel of Jesus Christ does not discriminate. It doesn't say this. The gospel doesn't say, oh, you're good and you're not, and so you can have it and you can't. Does it? It doesn't. The gospel doesn't say, oh, you're an evil and you're a corrupt nation far beyond the reach of God's grace. If you were more righteous, you could have it, but sorry, you can't. The gospel doesn't do that, does it? The gospel does not discriminate. It doesn't work that way, but guess what does? Our wicked hearts, right? Our wicked hearts work that way, right? Uh, can anyone think of someone, some group, there's, there's people, there's groups, and, and, and I'm sure you can think of someone, some group, some organization, there's people in this world right now, groups of people who hold ideals that run contrary to mine and to yours, and if we're honest, we would say this, I have some animosity towards them, because I don't like what they're doing, and I don't like what they stand for. Can you think of anyone? <laughs> anyone politically? Not hard, is it, right? You see, we all have our Ninevites, don't we? We all have those groups of people that we just hope and pray that the judgment of God falls upon them. We hope and we pray that, that somehow, some way, uh, there's people that, that we just wish God would judge with an immediate iron fist. And that day will come, will it not? That day will come. But instead of wishing for judgment, what if we wish for the gospel to reach them instead of judgment reaching them? What if we had the mindset that says, I, I hope and I pray that the gospel of Jesus Christ reaches them before judgment reaches them, right? Because we're really no different than them. The gospel does not discriminate. And so church, why do we, right? Why do we discriminate? Who can have the gospel? Who can't? What if we had more of a gospel focus than a drop the hammer kind of focus in life, right? What a game changer, right? The gospel doesn't discriminate. It's for everyone who will believe. And listen, that includes the far left liberal who hates everything you stand for in life. They need Jesus. They need Jesus just as much as you and I need Jesus. Well, and that was part of the lesson that Jonah needed to learn and that Jonah will learn throughout uh, this, this study and as we walk through this, uh, that the same mercy that he needed, they needed. 
the same mercy that the Ninevites needed, Jonah needed. And he didn't understand that. Because he's like, well, I'm a Christian. I'm a prophet. I'm a follower of God. I already got it. And he forgot that he was still desperately in need of the mercy of God. And it's available. The mercy of God is available. They just needed someone to tell them. And so who needs the mercy of God in your life? Who, who in your life who opposes everything you believe in, they're, they're hateful about it, and they have a lot of animosity towards church, towards God, towards Christianity, who are those people in your life who desperately need the gospel of Jesus Christ? It does not discriminate, and they need someone to tell them. They need someone to tell them. Here's the second thing I want us to see. These are kind of introductory thoughts this morning. Not only does the gospel not discriminate, but listen, God judges evil, not us. Amen? God is, is the one who judges evil, not you, not me, not Christians in the world. In verse 2, it says, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before who? Before me. God's like, Jonah, like he didn't come to Jonah, he was like, hey, they're evil, I know you guys see it, I know they're injustice, you guys are, you know, picketing on the streets, and, and you know, the nation of Israel, like, you guys see everything, and I'm going to do this for you, and I'm going to do this because you've been offended, and all of those things, no, evil has come up before God. God says, I see it, I see it. Do you know that God sees all evil, all injustice, all wickedness, and all wrongdoing in our world? Listen, he sees it, and one day he'll judge it once and for all, but until that time, it's not up to us, it's not up to you to judge the world. It's up to God. Let me show you a few things. Acts chapter 17 and verse 31, really interesting. The judgment of God. Is it going to happen? When is it going to happen, right? Uh, it says this in verse 31, because he, God, has fixed a day. There's a day. There's a time. It's God's time, not our time, right? He's fixed the day on which he, God, will judge the world in righteousness, listen to this, by a man whom he has appointed, and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Who is that man? Jesus, right? He has appointed Jesus, and the day is fixed, judgment will come. It's just not ours to dish out, right? It's not yours, it's not mine to dish out judgment. And Jonah didn't quite understand that. Jonah's like, go get him, God. I'll go to Tarshish, right? You go get him, right? They need to pay for their evil ways. And Jonah didn't understand that. We'll learn that a little bit later on in the book, but neither, neither do we. Like, we don't understand the mercy of God, the judgment of God, the faithfulness of God in the midst of corruption and evil, right? We expect God to judge on our timetable. Do you remember Habakkuk? Habakkuk's a great book to read in parallel with, with the book of Jonah. Uh, let me read to you just a little bit about Habakkuk and the injustice that he saw in his days. In, in Habakkuk chapter 1, notice it with me, it'll be on the screen, verses 2 through 3. He says this, O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Uh, or cry to you violence and you will not save? God, how long are you going to sit back and not do anything? Do you not see the violence? Do you not see the evil? Do you not see the corruption? How long, God? Why do you make me see iniquity? And why do you idly look at wrong destruction and violence and before me strife and contention arise? Read the rest of the chapter and see God's response. Because God's like, Habakkuk ain't your, ain't your timetable. You don't even know what I'm gonna do. You don't even understand, right? That I am the sovereign Lord, that I judge when and where and how I so choose, right? 
God is the one who judges. Look at Revelation chapter 6. This is actually interesting because we have this tendency as human beings to want judgment now. Even the, the martyred saints in heaven, listen to what they cry out in Revelation chapter 6 and verse 10. It says, they, those martyrs who died for the cause of Jesus, they cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth, even the slain martyrs? They cry out for justice. But it's God's prerogative, right? It's God's timetable. It's God's job to dole out judgment, not ours. And so what should we be concerned with? What should we focus on, the church, in an evil, corrupt world today? We should be focusing on the mission, amen? The mission to take the gospel to every creature. It's the mystery of God's, God's grace, that, that you didn't deserve and I didn't deserve, but God extended it to us anyway, and he still desires to extend that mercy to every single human being. Listen to this other quote from Tim Keller, and it'll be on the screen as well. He said this, unless Jonah, unless Jonah can see his own sin and see himself as living wholly by the mercy of God, he will never understand how God can be merciful, merciful to evil people and still be just and faithful. Isn't that so good? The same thing that Jonah needed to see, guess what, we need to see. Our sin and our need for the very mercy of God every day, every moment of every circumstance, we need his abundant grace and mercy. Without it, we're done. That we would actually view the world and say, like, yes, it's evil, and yes, it's corrupt, and yes, I don't want to stand for all of those things, but they're a sinner just like me. They're in need of God's grace just like I was. It was hopeless had I not met Jesus. And so they need the gospel, the church today, in an evil, corrupt world, a nation. When all this garbage is going on around us, do we just sit around and complain? Because like, I don't know about you, but I can complain all day long. Like, all day long. Like, let's talk about gas prices. I have to men mention gas prices every single message, every single week. It's just, it's what's in me, right? Um, we hate it, right? We can complain about all this stuff. Or we can say there's something so much more important, that there's a priority that is elevated above all things, and that is the grace and mercy and love of Jesus Christ. And so what if they saw, instead of our judgment, the gospel, church, right? The gospel. Here's the last thing that we'll look at this morning. We're going to lean back into this next week as well because we are running out of time, but that is this is that God doesn't run away from runaways, and I'm glad for that, aren't you? God doesn't run away from runaways. We're going to see that throughout the entire book of Jonah, that God is running after Jonah, even though he's running away from him, but I'm so glad for that because we're all tr truly runaways, are we not? We're all runaways. We run, God chases. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. We talked about that last Sunday in our better series, right? But notice in verse three, it says, but Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. I want you to underline that phrase, the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and he found a ship going to Tarshish. And so he paid the fare and he went down into it to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. Underline that phrase again, right? Jonah was a runaway. Right, no question about it. And Jonah in heaven, if we were to sit down and talk with him, he'd be like, yeah, I was a runaway. Like, I ran. I ran uh, away from God when I should have run to God. God said, rise up and go. I did. I just went in the wrong direction, right? And so he buys this one-way ticket to Tarshish, a place 
that was really the far, furthest away from Nineveh. Um, at, at the time in the known world, uh, this place, uh, most scholars believe it was Spain. And so that was like the, the furthest away place that in his mind, in his life, that he could possibly get from God. And so he buys this ticket, and his ticket read Tarshish. Like he looked at it, like going to Tarshish, right? It read Tarshish, but that wasn't his real destination, was it? It wasn't the real place he was going. His real destination was away from the presence of God. Like, I, I got to get away from God as if that were possible, right? As if we could escape God's presence. We learned last week, we can't. God is with us wherever we go. If you're a child of God, he's with you. Uh, wherever you go in life, you can't escape the presence of God. Uh, but Jonah thought what a lot of us think. If I just busy myself, right, with other things, if I, if I just occupy my time with, with something else, like I just won't have time for God's calling. It, it, you know, maybe, maybe if I, I, I make it so that I can't do it, I'll go somewhere. Uh, if I do that, I'm off the hook and God will have to get someone else to do it. Have you ever thought that before? Like I'll just, I'll make my life so difficult for God to intervene on. And some of you this morning know exactly that feeling because you're running and you've been running for a long time, you've been running away from a calling, you've been running away from something God has prompted you to do. Anyone relate to that? I know I can, right? We're running away, running away. We wanna get away from whatever it is God is calling us to do. God, I wanna do that. And so we run like Jonah, we run far, we run fast, we run as long as we possibly can, and God pursues us. And some of you are here this morning and you know and you feel the pursuit of God upon your life. Like, he, he, you know he's chasing you. You know that, that, that there is this thing that's nagging in your, your heart, nagging in your mind, that this thing that maybe you walked away from, and we feel like the longer in life we get away from that thing, the easier it will be. But you know that's not true. Because you can't run away from God. He pursues us, and he desires to draw us back, Right? We're going to see next time, we'll lean back into this thought next time, uh, but listen, Jonah uh, runs away, right, and, 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 and he recognizes this reality that he can't run from God, and we're going to pick back up in the story at that point in verse number three, but there's a little bit of Jonah in all of us. The question is, the question is, which part are you today? Which part of Jonah are you this morning? We're just scratching the surface. We're going to dig way deeper into this. But there's a little bit of his heart, there's a little bit of his prejudice, there's a little bit of his runaway mindset in every single person here this morning. The question is, are we going to be willing to recognize it and turn back to him and run back to him and walk in his grace and walk in his mercy and walk in his perfect will? There's no better place. There's no better place, right? I'm going to invite our worship team back up to join me on stage this morning. Would you stand as they are coming this morning? Listen, Jonah, Jonah had it in his mind, right? He had it in his mind that God's grace, God's mercy wasn't for everyone, right? That there's people, there's people in his life that they just don't deserve it. Like there's people that you can just kind of write off because they're evil and they're corrupt and they're enemies of God. And you can just kind of write those people off. They were, he, he was wrong. He was wrong. And you know what? So are we today. When we look at people in groups, in organizations, 
that do things that we would say, man, I mean, it's sin. Like, let's call it what it is. It's wrong. It's sinful, right? But what they need, it's not your judgment. It's God's job. What they need is the gospel of Jesus Christ. What they need is, is a group of people who have compassionate, loving hearts, who are willing to step inside their life and then their world and love them and care for them, because guess what Jesus does? That he cares deeply about their soul, and he cares deeply about their eternity, because he does not want anyone to perish and be separated for all eternity from him. He didn't want that for you, and he doesn't want that for them. And so he leaves us as, as Jonah prophets in the world to step in to the darkness and step into the corruption and bring the message of God into the darkness. Will we be willing in 2022, in the midst of all the garbage we see in our world today, in our nation today, in our cities today, will we be willing to do what Jonah finally did? Speak the message of God. May it be so with us. God, this morning, God, forgive us when we don't. Forgive us when we think the gospel is for some people and not all people. God, forgive us for stepping into, into your role and in, 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 in judging the world and in, in wishing for judgment to fall upon them. God, we should be wishing and praying and hoping and doing something that the gospel might reach them. What a perspective, what a change. And we pray that that perspective would be in us. God, I pray for every runaway this morning. We're all runaways, <laughs> but you pursue us, and you love us, and you chase hard after us. God, help us to stop running. Help us to turn back to you and walk with you, to walk in your mercy and your grace every single moment of every day that the world around us might see, see Jesus in us. We love you. We worship you. In Christ's precious name we pray. Amen. Would you worship one last time with us?